Welcome to Equivalence by Evelist, a mission-based initiative offering an unbiased source of info to people who aspire to make informed decisions and grow their career in companies who care about gender equity. I am Sophie Luray, and in this podcast, I want to open a dialogue about the notion of equivalence and how it looks like in everyday personal actions and corporate decisions. I invite change agents, men and women who are making it happen in their team, industry, and communities to talk about their journey, their practical tips, their moments of doubt and epiphanies. I hope you enjoy it and tell us what you want to hear about at hello at evelist.org. Female feticide has been one of the darkest features of India's patriarchal society. The sex ratio in some states has fallen so low that men are unable to find brides. According to the Asian Center for Human Rights, in 2016, no girl child was reported born in the 2,458 villages of the district of Ariana, the epicenter of India's bride bazaar. Meanwhile, 32,000 women were abducted from other states, according to the India's Natural Crime Bureau. The Indian government has passed a law in 1994 to ban and punish prenatal sex screening and female feticide. So it is currently illegal in India to determine or to disclose the sex of the fetus to anyone. However, there are concerns that it's been poorly enforced by local authorities. A low supply of women results in men and their families trafficking women from other areas and leads to increased sexual violence and abuse against women and children, child marriages, maternal death due to forced abortions, and early marriages. This ends up devaluing women instead of the presumed effect of increasing their value. Human trafficking, gang rape, women being forced to marry several men are practices plaguing Indian society. So today, I am honored to welcome a woman who has used her craft to be a force for change in her native country and a committed advocate for women empowerment around the world, Viba Bakshi, the founder of Responsible Films. Viba is a critically acclaimed multi-award winning film director and producer. She's the recipient of four national film awards awarded by the President of India. She's been conferred an honorary doctorate from her alma mater, Boston University, for her work as a filmmaker and a journalist. Welcome, Viva, to the Equivalence Podcast. Thank you so much, Sophie. And it's so wonderful to partner again. Very, very excited to take this conversation forward. Oh, I'm so, so happy and excited to speak with you. We've met a few years back when you came and addressed our audience at the Will Forum in Dubai. And I just remember my heart just booming when you were speaking and the impact you had on this audience. So before we get into the heart of the discussion, I'd like to discuss a little bit with you the beginning of your career and particularly the beginning of your career in journalism and the path that took you from journalism to film production. Yes. Actually, you know, sometimes I feel in life, it's not the path that you choose, but you get chosen (laughs) to do certain things. And I'm really, really fortunate that I have been able to meet incredible people in my life who have inspired me to take this path, which, you know, I wouldn't 
do anything else but do what I do, even though it gets very, very rough at times. But this is what I love to do. And that is, you know, tell a story and hope that a life is changed through it. I started my first career. I went into journalism. I had graduated from Boston University doing film and journalism. And I was lucky to get a great job in a broadcasting company. And I think at that time, it was all about making the headlines and, you know, getting the story that gets a lot of attention. But I think after a few years, I got wary of it. And I began to pursuing stories on burning issues. And I think that's when I could see there was a shift in my thinking. And I think like many others, I was seeking answers to many issues that were coming in my way. And I think that's when I changed. But I think the biggest change was I was already anchor reporter on CNBC. And then my husband and I decided to go to New York. And I think at that time, there was a big turning point because that's when I met my partner, Mary Ann Delio, who is a critically acclaimed film director and also an Academy Award winner. Mm-hmm. And she became my mentor. And after that, there was no looking back. You could produce with her a few movies on real big problems, right? I remember Terror at Home, a film that was part of the U.S. government's Emmy Award winning campaign to stop violence against women. And another one on global warming that was broadcasted on HBO. I like the title, Too Hot Not to Handle. (laughs) So what brought you to these subjects? So actually being a producer uh, for an uh, Academy Award winner, uh, very fortunate to have got amazing projects. These both were very big projects. And I was lucky because it exposed me to very, very big productions. And I learned so much from Marianne because I was producing and she was the director. Mm -hmm. And I just learned from her the art of storytelling but when you deal with issues, to do it in the most sensitive way. And I think that is the biggest lesson that I've learned. It is very easy to sensationalize, but very hard to sensitize. Mm. And I think that's a mantra that I have used for all the films that I did henceforth. And again, I am blessed that I've always had a very, very strong team that has backed that vision. At the end of the day, it's never one person's film. It is a team effort. And I'm blessed to be able to have teams like that. So talking about dramatic subjects in 2012, I mean, we all heard about this horrific gang rape and the death of this young girl, Nabaya, in Delhi. And you directed yes. and produced a documentary called Daughters of Mother India. It became not only a multi-award winning film that highlighted some of really the deep-rooted issues that India was facing, but it also set up in motion an entire movement nationwide for change. So tell us more about that story, because it's an amazing story of impact of a movie onto a nation. Yeah, again, you know, every filmmaker, especially a documentary filmmaker, I think the end goal is impact. Mm -hmm. You know, what does your film do to make change happen? And again, you know, you, you set out on this journey 
but you don't know what the ending will look like. And I think in this case, you know, that horrific and brutal gang rape happened of the medical intern on a moving bus. India was making notorious headlines all over the world. And I was in Delhi in the midst of the protests. I mean, there were hundreds and thousands of people on the streets demanding justice. And I think at that point, I stood there, it was the middle of winter, and I stood there as a very proud daughter of India, because I truly believe that there is no other country in the world that has reacted to a gender crime the way India did. You know, but at the same time, I was left with the burning question as to how did we land here? I mean, she was gang raped by the six men in the bus and the rape turned so brutal that her intestines came out. And I think at that point, Sophie, I kept thinking about, you know, the police. The police is the front line of the justice system. So unless the police is not sensitized, justice will not only be delayed, it shall be denied. And that's when I was very, very sure that the police was going to be a very integral part of the documentary. But at that time, you know, with the protests on the street, access to the police was impossible. But, you know, as they say, when your intent and emotion is right, um, the universe makes things happen. And that's what happened. I was able to secure a meeting with the then police commissioner of Delhi you know, the word camera, journalist, filmmaker. I mean, these were bad words at that time, you know. You could, <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Yeah, the city was burning with protests. And when I finally met him, you know, I had all this prepared, you know, it was almost like a script as to why he should give me access to the Delhi police. And at the end, he looked at me, Sophie, and I told him, I said, sir, I'm a stakeholder in the society. I do not want this momentum to stop. And he looked at me and he said, I'm a father of two daughters. Mm. And we were the only team to gain access to the Delhi police for the first time in the history of the police. Amazing. Amazing. And since then, I have to tell you, the first time that we screened Daughters of Mother India, we invited the police commissioner. He had not seen anything, no cuts before. And I was so nervous and petrified because this is the first time he was going to see it with 800 other people. And the police commissioner was the first person to get up to give us the standing ovation. Wow. He didn't ask you to check the edits? That is amazing. Nothing. I had told him that I will not be giving you any prior cuts. And uh, that was the condition under which I was going to operate because otherwise I just didn't feel it would have been a fair documentary. Mm. And I said, sir, this may cost you your job and your position. And he said, in life, a time comes when you just have to do the right thing. Indeed. And that was it. Yes. And since then, we have screened Daughters of Mother India for 150,000 police officers. And now it is part of the training curriculum for any incoming police officers. So it's been a very, very satisfying journey. Yes, indeed, definitely. And it has been showed all over the world as well. 
I remember when you showed it at Will how everyone could somehow relate because it's not just a situation that happens in India. Like you said, the country protested like nobody's business, but it's something that we all experience at different levels. So we could all feel it almost in our flesh. Absolutely. I mean, gender violence, when I did the campaign for the U.S. government, I have to tell you, the narrative is the same, just the characters change. Mm -hmm. And uh, is very important to understand is that it's never about just a country. Gender violence, gender bias is a global reality. And I think now with the entire COVID, in fact, uh, talking about, you know, Sunrise, which is my latest film, in these times with the COVID pandemic, in fact, the United Nations has declared that a shadow pandemic has unleashed, a shadow pandemic of violence against women. During this, so we we are really seeing a pandemic within a pandemic, for sure. And it's all over the world. The numbers are surging, and I think the the time has come very much to make men an integral part of the fight to end violence. Absolutely, this is not a women's issue; it's a human rights violation. Absolutely. Uh, so I was about to ask you, with this experience you showed and you saw as well the power that a movie can have on participating to a change. So it wasn't just the power of watching it and be influenced by this documentary, but actually a true, very concrete impact on training the police. So your latest documentary, Sunrise, you've decided to uncover another aspect, which is really the extraordinary destiny of men in the district that I talked about in my preamble, Ariana. Yeah. Men who fight for gender justice and against gender violence male that we can call male allies. And it's been already selected as part of the UN's global Ifoshi movements to be showcased in almost 70, 71 countries around the world. So it's another incredible testimony on how ordinary people can do extraordinary things. So tell us more about this documentary. So, Sophie, I was screening all over the country, Daughters of Mother India. You know, we were going from one police commissioner to another. Mm -hmm. And that's when I reached the state of Haryana, the state that you gave a backdrop on. It is um, India's seat of patriarchy. And I was screening for the police there. And it was here that an activist came up to me and said that, you know, ma'am, there is a farmer who in an arranged marriage has married a gang rape survivor. You know, the marriage has just happened a couple of days ago. And I was so happily stunned mm. because for a man of that state from such a patriarchal state to marry a gang rape survivor, you know, in an arranged marriage would have been unheard for. Yeah. I mean, forget that state. Even if I look around in a big city, you know, in an arranged marriage, it would have been a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her, I said, you know, who is this farmer? Which village does he belong to? She had just heard about it, but she did not have a name or the village name or anything. But by then, you know, I had very close contacts with the police since I was screening with them. And with the help of the police, I entered the hinterlands of Haryana. And Sophie, I found him. You know, as soon as I reached the village, the men were mocking him. And they were like, oh, that man, that crazy man. And I reached and I spoke to him. 
I had two of my team members with me and I just said, we have found our hero. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really how Sunrise was born. Sunrise is spelled as S-O-N-R-I-S-E. I said, I'm going to focus on this man. And why has he taken on this extraordinary fight for his wife's justice? And while we were filming here, Sophie, you know, you spoke about feticide. It's when I was filming this farmer, I realized that I could not see girls in the village. There was an eerie absence of Mm -hmm. girls in the village. Then I would go to the next village and it was the same thing. And that's when Sunrise begins with this whole bias of not wanting girls which has led to the disappearance of so many women, which has now created a scarcity for women to get married to, which has led to violence. And so everything was connected. But our focus became, while we were going and exploring this journey, we found these incredible men. I mean, really, like you said, ordinary men who are doing the extraordinary to change the narrative on gender inequality and gender injustice, I would say, globally. Yes, and they are definitely role models. So what was his why? Because he didn't just fight for justice, but he, he had to fight as well against his entire, basically his entire village, right? Yes, absolutely. Fighting the shame, fighting the mockery. For us, I mean, whenever we've screened, now we've had so many screenings. With humility, I have to share that there's not been a single screening where there has not been a standing ovation. And Mm -hmm. I think this standing ovation belongs to those heroes Mm -hmm. who come from such a patriarchal mindset, and yet they have taken on this fight. We were filming The Farmer, and for many, many months, his wife would not come out. And then one day... She came out, she unveiled, because all the women are veiled in Haryana, she unveiled and said, the shame is not mine. And that's when she told us her story. It was such an amazing moment. And now, you know, we see them fighting together and, you know, they've become role models now for that same village, the village that mocked them. Today, they are being perceived as the role model couple. Incredible. There's a thing that I was wondering, I was trying to make sense of even the, how would I use the word, the math about this situation. The value of a woman is less than the value of a man in the dowry system. Yeah. And that involves the female feticide because poor people cannot afford and so on and so forth. You would think that if there's no more women, that would increase the value of women, but it doesn't do that, does it? No, it doesn't. And I think what's happened now is that initially, even I thought, is it only dowry? Mm -hmm. But now what's happened is Haryana is a very prosperous state. It's one of the most affluent states in India. So where is the issue? The issue is that the money or the land is not to be given to the daughter because she's finally going to leave the household. She belongs to another household. Right? Yeah. In spite of people even having wealth, they do not want the wealth to be allocated to the daughter. Mm. So now it really comes down to a bias. 
I see. It's a bias and they want everything to go to the sun and only the sun is the heir to their legacy, to their empire, to their land. Now, what has happened is because there's a shortage of women, they're prepared to get the women from outside. Yeah. They're prepared to get women. I mean, that is okay for them. But still, that want for a son remains. I see. It's only he who is entitled to what belongs to them. And really, you know, when we were screening, everybody presumed that I'm a mother of daughters. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm a mother of two sons. And I think I carry a greater responsibility on how I raise my sons. Yeah. When they carry this sense of unnecessary entitlement, that's where the problem is. Yes, of course. Yeah. And that's how the sons are being raised, with an unnecessary sense of entitlement. And the sense that the woman is a commodity then? Absolutely. And then it just spills over on many, many aspects of the life. So do you see, considering the hope that takes place in all of your documentaries, it's almost a skewed question I'm about to ask you, do you see uh, hope for a, a better future and change? Are these men a tiny minority or do you see a change in your country's society when it comes to male allyship in particular and fighting the patriarchy? Yeah, it's a very good question, Sophie. You know, a film cannot change the world, but it can definitely break the conspiracy of silence. And this is what I have seen. Sophie, when I first entered into the state of Haryana, I met the chief of, um, you know, he's the most powerful chief sitting in Haryana. He has about 1,300 villages under him. His influence is so strong, even though they operate outside the law, but the influence, the social influence is very strong. When I met him, he looked at me and he said, there is no place for women here. I mean, this is my entry. <laughs> And it's in the film, you know, I'm like, wow, he's getting recorded. And he just looks at me three hours into the conversation. He will not make eye contact with me. <laughs> it was three hours. There was no eye contact. And, you know, I remember the director of photography kept telling me, you know, we will not be able to use this footage because <laughs> he's looking everywhere. And I think after three hours, what I realized is I also had a lens which was biased. Mm. You know, I carried the same prejudice against him as he did for me. And once I cleared my lens and I tried to understand from his point of view how he was thinking, that's when our conversation began. And over the two years of filming, Sophie, I am so happy to share this with you that the same patriarch who said, that there is no place for women here, today is our biggest cheerleader, screening sunrise across thousands of villages in Haryana. Oh, that is amazing. That is the biggest triumph. Oh, yes. That we, you know, we have experienced bigger than any of the film accolades and awards. But when you see change like this, it just makes the journey so worth it. You know, Sophie, when we were filming, 
I mean, people, my friend circle, my family, I, th- I think they thought I was mad <laughs> because I was entering into such a dangerous territory, you know, a woman going in. I mean, I was just asking for trouble. Yeah. Then, you know, with following the entire Kusum, the farmer's wife was brutally gang raped by eight men for a period of over a year. And I remember when we were in court, the alleged rapists, they had seen my face. And there was always that fear that we are being followed. Mm-hmm. And at one point, we asked for police protection. And cop on a very junior level, he basically looked at me and said, what protection are you looking for? You know, they will hire a truck and your car will meet with a with an accident. An accident, yeah. So, you know, it used to get dark by 5.30 in the evening because we were so in the hinderlands, we used to lose cell reception. So it was very, very unnerving. But I have to tell you, after the film was complete, we won the President's Award for Best Film. UN took it as part of the Global He for She movement. We have emerged so much stronger. And then when you see the impact that's happening on the ground, every day of that filming has been so worth it. Amazing. Amazing. I was about to ask you what's been the most challenging part of your career. I guess that was one of them, but it is definitely so worth it to see someone so entrenched in a millennial culture actually opening up. It's remarkable, the power of a movie. I will leave at the end of the podcast a link as well for anybody that wants to see the documentary to be able to do so, because it's a really fantastic story. So to uh, come back to your career, apart from that episode, what's been actually the most challenging part as a producer, as a director, as a journalist? What was the most challenging part of it? I think to make it from a film to a movement. Mm. Because for me, making the film is one part of the journey but to actually make sure that it reaches an audience to make the necessary change, it's a very, very long and hard process. Mm -hmm. It requires strategy. It requires goodwill. It requires the right contacts to be able to reach. And I'm most grateful because I think all these factors have played a very important role in unleashing it into a movement. And I must say that, you know, as a filmmaker, the biggest lessons I've learned is to leave people with hope Mm. because most burning issues, if I take away that hope, I've left you with nothing and no fight can be fought without hope. Mm -hmm. So that is something that it's a conscious decision on the editing floor that however harsh the reality may be, I will leave the audience with hope. I remember thinking before seeing your first documentary, thinking, how can you talk about gang rape and still leave the documentary hopeful? And it's the bet of the documentary and and you succeed into that. Oh, thank you. It plays the part of the success as well of the the viral transmission of the documentary worldwide. But because you're an independent filmmaker and we know our complicated it is to fundraise, to find uh, ways to broadcast. So how do you do it? Because you do everything, right? Your production house is responsible for the financing, for the broadcasting, for the promotion, for the directing, everything. 
Um, I, I also make the tea and coffee and I move furniture. And I do everything that comes in between. Let me tell you, the whole glamorous gamut that we have. I can switch roles very quickly. I can go from a uh, uh, producer to a uh, production assistant very quickly. <laughs> mm. I've seen that. I've seen that. <laughs> so I think I would say finance is a very, very critical part and a very mm-hmm. tough part. I've taken, again, a conscious decision, at least for Daughters of Mother India and Sunrise. I didn't go with a network. It was simply because... I wanted to control the vision of how it would unfold and also prove to the networks that it can work. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, when you go in for sensationalism, which many people do it, I think you may be able to garner quicker headlines or make news, but I don't think it has a lasting impact. And I think it was more to prove to the networks that this works. You know, even, for example, Sophie, when I showcased the farmer's wife, she spoke to me for hours. I mean, I think she just cried and cried and spoke to me for hours. She was recounting every minute Mm. of how many times she was raped. And if you see in the film, I have neither shown you her crying and I have not spent more than two minutes talking about the rape. Mm. And it was not needed. And as far as the pain is concerned, every viewer has got it. You know, on how horribly wrong it is, everybody got it. And I think this is what I wanted to show. And therefore, I controlled the financing so simply because just the team and I could control that vision. Yeah, so you don't have to sell your soul uh, while you're doing the cuts. Yet, you know, obviously for them, it's about eyeballs. It's about the awards. And we've shown it to them. You Mm -hmm. know, we've shown it to them with, you know, full house standing ovations. We swept the highest honor in Indian cinema It was for both the films. This time it was even higher because we won Best Film, which is the gold, and that too at the National Film Awards, which is equivalent to the Oscars. So we've shown it to them that it works. And I really hope that my next film, I will go with a network and yet we are able to make a responsible film. Yes. So talking about actually glamour, (laughs) Bollywood is actually arguably the most powerful cultural shaper industry in Asia. And and for decades, it has promoted uh, very heavily gender stereotypes. Yes. Recently, it changed for the better. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Yes. I mean, anywhere in the world, but more so in India, Movies can play a very important role in, um, you know, setting mindsets. It's a very powerful medium. We know that it greatly influences the audience. And I think as a filmmaker, you do carry that responsibility. I understand box office hits and I understand that at the end of the day, the big bucks have to show. But at the same time, I really hope that Bollywood evolves 
And it is because the audience is getting more evolved. Just because you're a superstar in a film, it does not guarantee a hit. Today, the audience is looking for a story. And uh, we have seen that smaller budget films, which leaves the audience something to think about, are doing very well in the box office compared to what they spent. So there is a shift that is happening. I just hope the voices get louder. I remember I got two or three offers from Bollywood to convert Sunrise into a Bollywood film. I mean, they just thought the love story of the farmer and his wife and how he's fighting for justice could be an incredible film. Yes. And uh, the only thing is that the trial is going on right now and these are real characters. So we have refrained from doing anything that could affect the final judicial outcome. But I think it would make an incredible story. It would, yes, definitely. Very romantic. Yeah. Um, do you think it's a generational shift? You think the new generation is looking for equality as well? Yes, absolutely. It's a whole new world that is emerging and the youth, which is so powerful, and, and this is who we are targeting. Even with Sunrise, we have now collected 5 million pledges. Sunrise has started screening across schools, across colleges, and that's a very, very powerful base. Yes. Sophie, we've started screening mass screenings. We've covered hundreds of schools because it's very important that this whole conversation on gender equality, gender justice, happens with boys at 15 and not with broken men at 50. Mm -hmm. It's going to be much easier to make the change happen when they are younger. And yes, absolutely, I think the next generation will play a very important role in changing the narrative. Yeah, and just like for Daughters of Mother India, you have chosen your audience. So on one side, it was the police because the police was, I guess, the, the change maker. And here it's the kids, basically, that will make the change in the next generation, that will not accept. With any kind of gender justice, what was happening in India is if someone went and said, you know, I was raped, you know, went with a family member and said, you know, I was raped. The problem was the police would dissuade them from filing the report, saying it's going to bring so much shame to your family that just let it go. What happens to the other two daughters? You know, nobody will marry them. I mean, that had to change. And I think in Sunrise, with Kusum unveiling and talking about it and putting the shame where it belongs has been a game changer. When women are watching her, and that's why I say they've become such powerful role models. He's fighting for her justice. And, you know, Sophie, when he got married to her, he married her with so much grandeur to tell the world the shame does not belong here. And that is very, very important globally to put the shame where it belongs, not on the survivor but those who've committed this heinous crime. What a man, a real man. Yes, the true essence of masculinity. Masculinity, definitely. And creates a bold and united force for equality. That is a man. Yes. <laughs> well, Viva, as usual, it was a, an absolute pleasure to discuss with you. Would you like to tell our audience where they can 
contact you, where they can watch the documentaries and what's next for you? Absolutely. We would love you to be able to watch Sunrise. It is screening at many festivals. It's screening all over. But please do share me the details, Sophie, and we will make sure that people are able to watch Sunrise. We are waiting for the global premiere of Sunrise at the United Nations, and then it will be available for viewing to everyone. But for right now, there are only select screenings that are happening. So please, if people do get in touch with you, we will find a way to be able to for your audience. Great. Thank you, Viva. It was great speaking with you. Thank you so much, Sophie. And as always, this is a powerful partnership. Thank you for telling our stories and thank you for making this world a better place. You enjoyed the podcast with Viva, but you had a lot of questions for her about her life, about her career, and about social issues? Well, now it's going to be possible with Will Digital Talks. From this month onwards, we will be hosting monthly events where we will be talking with people that are changing the game in business, in politics, in economy, in arts and culture, all over the world followed by 30 minutes Ask Me Anything sessions. Yes, sessions where you can ask anything you want. For more and to register, go on www.willforum.com. Will, W-I-L, forum.com. I hope to see you there.